Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are here for part two of our Independence Day special. We've been talking about freedom. We've been talking about some of the prophecies for this land. We've been talking about uh, the blessings promised and the cursings also for people that don't follow the Lord. And we talked a little bit about how this is not unique just to this land, but for every group of people who have been blessed and prospered, how they seem to find iniquity. We can see that taking place in this land, uh, especially as of recently. And it seems to just be increasing at a rapid rate as we see uh, people talking about... um, Well, it seems that the nature or the course of this country is that we are to be more inclusive. That's the word of the day. More inclusive, more diverse. In other words, uh, let's let's give everybody more and more freedom to do what they want, to act how they will, to not have uh, as many uh, uh, maybe uh, restrictions based on... um, Oh, our traditions, uh, the way we've always done things. Let's open up. Let's be inclusive of all these new ideas. And in so doing, it seems that there's a certain segment of society that is losing some of their freedoms. Um, People that don't agree with some of the things that are going on are finding that it's harder and harder to live without being being reminded of the iniquity that's, that's taking place among us. And so we are faced with a question on how do I remain free in my um, love for Jesus Christ. How do I remain free to go about my my business each and every day of trying to serve other people, trying to love other people, trying to be uh, having my mind and heart drawn out to the Lord as the things around me become more and more wicked? Um, this is a, a topic that's important to all of us, and I think all of us want to be free from the sin around us and free on the inside. And Corey, you um, had shared with me a story, if you want to get into that now or maybe in, in, in a little bit later in the episode. But um, it's interesting, isn't it, when we look at laws and when we look at, um, you know, if people put an argument up for Christianity, one, one of the biggest arguments is they don't want to follow all the rules, right? They don't want to be bound down. They want to have fun. They want to go out and sow their oats. We saw that in the, the parable of the prodigal son. He wanted all of his... All of the money and everything that his father had, you know, his inheritance, he wanted to go out and be free to spend that, to be free to enjoy life the way that he wanted to enjoy it. And what he ended up feeling was that he was in complete bondage. He had no freedom to to enjoy life, to eat, to even have a decent meal. He was eating with the pigs and he came back to his father and found freedom once again. We seem to, uh, that story seems to be lived out over and over. Yeah. And, and every one of us probably has a story of that in our own lives <laughs> sure. to some extent. But by and large, if we look at people who are against Christianity, they, they feel like it's restrictive. Sure, sure. It's restrictive and it's bondage. Sure, yeah. What's the flip side of that? Well, you know, that's a great question, Mike. And, and you look at that story, the, the prodigal son, as we call it, and uh, there, there sure is a, a type, and I think... Most people probably see it right off. You know, the, the father probably represents God and the, the son probably represents every one of us to some extent at some point in our life when we say, I don't want God, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and the consequences of turning away from our father are that 
we we live in the world and of the world and the the interesting comments the son makes you know he's he's not only li- living with the pigs but he's it says he's eating the husks just like the pigs and uh, i remember a man i respected once talked about this story and he said something i always remembered and this was that back before the internet and everything that on tv it seemed so morally offensive but uh he, he said those those newspapers and magazines at the checkout stand in the grocery store he said those are the husks right mm-hmm. you know we we choose those things for fulfillment we choose the emptiness you know there's no food value in a husk we we choose those things of the world to live on and that becomes our happiness and and not realizing by making those choices that becomes our bondage because we become a, a slave to things that have no lasting value of eating food with no food value and so we, we have a junk food kind of spiritual life that never gives us growth or health. You, um, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, he, of course, was the epitome of freedom. You know, he didn't have a house. He didn't have a, <laughs> a, even a family to be responsible to. But even more so, no matter how bad people were to him, and him being so righteous that he had no reason to, you know, a lot of times I, I, I suffer because of my unrighteousness. He had no unrighteousness, and yet he suffered in many ways. But he was so free to love people, yeah, yeah, and love him he did, and then he just poured out his love and compassion upon people. You know, you you mentioned that, and that's such a good point that he he had nothing. He he didn't have any physical things of this world, and when he sent his disciples out, he didn't. He even commanded them, "You don't get any." thing even a change of clothing okay i'll let you take a walking stick you know mm-hmm. but he said you don't even take money with you now i'm not saying we aren't supposed to have money i'm not saying we're not supposed to have changes of clothing but he made them so that they didn't have to worry about anything other than doing his will and you know it, it in a larger sense the the things of this world do and can be the illusion that that bind us you know the accumulation of stuff just for the sake of stuff uh, and we all fall into that i mean you need things to live but when your heart is set on those things that's one of the first steps towards bondage, I think. I've uh, I've followed some blogs and things on the internet about uh, minimalism. Yeah, it's in, it's uh, it's kind of cool that you read testimony over testimony that as people get the physical things out of their life, how that uh, quote frees up their mind and their inner um, just just the uh, mass accumulation of things can make us feel like we're in bondage. And as you get away and, and, and get rid of those things, the freedom that um, that comes from that. But keeping uh, with that prodigal son and that story, um, what do you say to, uh, to those who are against Christianity and say they don't want to uh, abide by the rules, that they feel like that's bondage and restrictive and keeping them from... You know, it's it's interesting because it's like you pointed out, it's better to be humble by choice rather than to be compelled to be humble. Mm-hmm. But I think the end of this life is that eventually, you know, some people go out of this life rebelling and having, you know, a, a hardened heart towards God, and, and maybe that exists. But but the, the trials of this life, for many people, eventually bring them to their knees. And if they don't choose to believe it on their own, sometimes they're compelled to find out, just like the prodigal son. I, I can't say that any words that I could say to someone would necessarily change their heart, although I think just the greater awareness that it first starts with just a love of things, 
uh, an accumulation of things. And sometimes it's kind of like fasting and food. <clears throat> you know, our, our bodies need food and we need food to live, but somehow the uh, it, it seems contrary that living without food for a time would actually make us better, stronger, faster, more capable. But in this but in this world, God's uh, advice to us has always been, you know, be a distributor of goods. Don't be an accumulator of goods. Uh, place little value of the, on the things of this world so you can always have your mind on things above this world. Um, I, I'd share a little story, and it's been a transformation even uh, for in my own home. Um, my, my wife did something, and she did it without telling me, and this was kind of a good thing. Um, won't go through the history of it, but a, a few years ago, um, I, I noticed that my wife, you know, she always dressed nice and had the same clothes and everything, but she was just kind of wearing uh, the same few clothes here and there. And she said, you know, I've realized that um, there's a lot of clothes that I just don't wear anymore, so I've been giving away. And I, I noticed that. But but along with that, um, it was several months into this before she realized, and she said, I decided that beginning of this year, that I wasn't going to buy anything for myself at all this, for a whole year. And I thought, you know, <clears throat> for me, I've never really had a um, connection with having to have a lot of things to necessarily feel good. I mean, I like tools, and I like, I guess, uh, making memories with my family. But you know, as far as collecting clothes, or I don't really have anything where I collect anything at all. And I can't say she did either. But she has a testimony that I'd love for her to share sometime about how this year of deciding that money I had was not going to go for me, no matter how much I had or how much I wanted something. I wasn't going to spend anything on me other than just the basic things to live, which, you know, food and shelter. And so in that year, she also started something else. And, and uh, the people who know her at work, if anyone's listening, know that uh, Margie is known for having deal of the day. And she, she works a few days a week at a local hospital, and she loves her work. She'd work there if she was, wasn't paid at all. She just loves the opportunity to interact with the people and the families in the way she can. But uh, every day when she goes to work, and she's done this for a few years now, uh, she takes something of hers, something that was maybe a gift given to her by someone else. I don't think she takes any of my things, although that might be happening too. But she takes something and she puts it on a table in the break room. And there's a little sign behind it. It just says Margie's deal of the day. And, and at first people like, well, how much do you want for this? She goes, I don't want anything. And it's like, well, who's it for? And she goes, whoever wants it. And it's like, you mean like if I see this right here and, you know, some one day she brought a little, you know, china teacup and a saucer and another day it was a nice little picture and one day it was a piece of jewelry and it was other things, you know, little mementos, collectible things, sometimes just knick-knacky things. Um, the puzzle that we hadn't worked on for a few years that just stayed in the shelf and was dusty, things like that sometimes too. But it was, at first people were a little skeptical. It's like, you're just giving this away? And it's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can just have it. And so she never goes to work now without having a deal of the day. And it, and the, I, the the kind of the talk of my work is, I wonder what Margie's going to bring today. And some people kind of head to the break room early just to see if it's something they want. And she Corey's, said, oh, yeah. Corey she says, says, where's my Sawzall? I know, I've been looking for that tool. So um, anyhow, and we, we kind of joke about this sometimes. Ah, oh, you know, if she made the meatloaf that didn't quite turn out, is that going to become deal of the day? You know, I'm, I'm just teasing. But this, uh, 
this has been where people look forward to it. But the, the greater part of the story is, is that she's realized, you know, she wants to be a distributor of things. And we at this point in, you know, kind of midway in our lives, look at the things around us. And one, from a very practical standpoint, you know, as we've both had parents pass on and grandparents, we, we don't want to burden our children with a lot of things to have to go through someday when it's our turn to go. And hopefully that's not for a long time. But more than that, we've realized that there's great freedom in owning less. Mm. And that's just that's just one of the first rules. And, and Jesus says this without saying that when he's commanding the disciples that if you really want to be a, a servant of, of, of God, don't let your mind and heart be tied to the things of the world. Not that you can't own things. And I have to qualify this. You know, many of the uh, great patriarchs, for instance, of the Bible, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, they were wealthy landowners. They had a lot in the way of the worldly things and material things, but their heart was for the Lord. And these were the result of their blessings, I, I would believe. And to have things is not wrong, but to have our hearts on things, it can lead us away. And so when, when we just simply transform our view of this world as, hey, I'm not an accumulator, I'm a distributor. And when we look at it this way, I had a conversation with my son recently about this. You know, he, he was kind of finishing up college, thinking about the next step. And he's like, yeah, I don't have money to do that. And I said, no, let's put a plan together and let's figure this out. And I can help you because I, the last thing I would ever want in my life is to think I had a blessing that I could have shared with someone, but especially my own children, my own flesh and blood, that couldn't have helped them in their journey because you're going to have a lot more years in this life to go than I do, you know, for however many years any of us have. And Tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us either, but I would much rather live knowing that I gave what I had to people and it turned into blessings of theirs rather than I hoarded things that somehow just helped me feel better about myself. So so that, and you, you ask, you know, what can we do in life and to be free? One thing is to just view and ask yourself, how can I be a distributor how can I be a, a distributor of God's blessings? And that may not be in a material way. You know, you may have little already, but when you decide my time is something I want to distribute to other people, you know, maybe it's it's preparing worship series in, uh, at, at church or, or writing music or it's visiting the sick or it's just praying for people. You're, you're using your most valuable asset, which is your time, in a good way rather than just hoarding it for yourself. And, and there's so many ways that our time is spent on those husks of the world. Social media is great for keeping up with people, but boy, oh boy, there's just so many useless things, and you never get that time back. You know, my I was going through something. We have a Amazon account or Netflix. I don't know what it is, and, and we don't have regular TV, but if we ever watch a movie or something like that, it's just through that. But my, my when I say regular TV, I mean like a cable TV or something like that. But we've watched some movies from time to time. And there was some point not long ago where I had to go through and I saw this history of shows we had watched. And, you know, it isn't that often that we do it. But over a few years time, you know, here's this long list. And it was more than a page. And I was just like looking at it and looking at it. And it was like another page and another page. And when I looked at that, my first thought was, I wish I could have all that time back. You know, because I think what was the real value of all that time I'd spent watching? What would that really do for me? And it's like. I can't get any of that time back. Um, so when we view that life is a way of distributing not just wealth, but our time to do good works, that's freeing. There's a, um, we had a friend over the other night for dinner, and uh, he was talking, him and his branch recently had uh, 
they had given a lot of money to uh, a, a group in another country uh, that needed it and needed it. Obviously, they needed it. It was it was well spent. But their branch said, "What can we? What else can we do for this group of people?" And they realized that uh, they were in need of a church. And anyway, they ended up uh, a group of four or five, five of them, I think, went over to another country across the ocean and spent some time there. So they're working with this village, and they were they were they helped them build a church that were they were desperately in need of. The, the other one they had was condemned. They had nowhere to meet. And he said they worked all day long, side by side, shoveling rock, mixing cement by hand, carrying rock up hills through the jungle. And this was rural, rural. I mean, we're, when you talk about jungle, that was sounded like that's what this place was. And he said there was no place for baths. There was no mirrors. There was no showers. And so because there was no mirrors, they didn't really care what he looked like, you know. But mm-hmm. at night they would sit down. He said if we ate, they would sit down and they would have maybe some rice and a banana and they were sitting on a dirt floor in this mm-hmm. tiny house. He said, one one little candle, just barely putting off light. And he said, and yet as we sat there side by side, he said, I had everything that I wanted. Mm. I had everything that I mm. wanted. And there there is something that's not tangible that's uh, it's a mystery, and that is when, when you pour yourself out. Mm. But when you pour yourself out, not just for the sake of feeling better, because there's social warriors out there that will give and give and pour things out and have these causes. And, and as Timothy Keller recently posted, he said they're, they're, they're just as much a schmuck as they were the day before <laughs> because they're not doing it for the glory of God. Right. And, and, and if you don't do it for the glory of God and for your love of other people because God is love, then it, then it doesn't have its value. Adam and I talked a little bit about that, how value comes from um, because God loves us, that we love other people. And as we realize that, that he's the source of that, that's when those efforts uh, have value. Yeah. And that's where they gain value. And, and my friend, you know, they were there working on this church and, and he said, that was all that I needed. I had everything that I wanted. And that's because they were doing it for the right reasons and not to make themselves feel good. And in turn, God, God blesses them. But we were talking about, um, there's many places in the scriptures, Corey, that talk about like, you know, how Paul and them were in prison and yet they were free. Yeah. Yeah. You Their, know, <clears throat> your physical circumstances can be so bad. And yet, you know, you look at people like Johnny Erickson, you know, paralyzed from a diving accident early on, and yet she has had such a ministry during her life, mm. physical bondage, and yet on the inside free. And what a what a miracle that is in a mystery. What what about you know Paul being in prison and yet being free, being whipped and yet being able to sing hymns? I tell you what, man, if I get hungry at church sometimes i don't want to get out of there before the hymn you know and so how in the world can your physical uh even painful circumstances allow your spirit to be free that comes through a a lot of effort on your part a lot of relationship with your creator yeah yeah you know you mentioned paul and in one of the last stories in his life he's standing on the the steps and chains chains put on by the people who imprisoned him and he declares to the people, he said, I'm not your prisoner, I'm Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and in total bondage, yet he, he found freedom in Christ. What's that look like? I'm, not, I'm a slave to, what, what was, what's the exact quote of the scripture? I'm a, that, that's worth reading. Yeah, we can look it up. I'll just uh, kill Tom while you find that on you. <laughs> no, so Paul talks about 
being a uh, you know a slave to Jesus. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And what that um, what does that look like to be a slave to our Lord? You know, everything seems to come back to this change of heart, and everything seems to come back to agency and freedom to choose. And when we choose, and, and I'm not oversimplifying it, but I don't think it can be overstated, when we choose that we want God first and foremost, we might not even have a good roadmap to do that, but it's praying that God will guide us by his Holy Spirit and that our action plan, our firmness, as we discussed recently, our desire to fulfill his will becomes primary in our life, that the world can bury us with affliction and yet we don't see the world or or we're not as impacted by it. You know, in the second book of Corinthians chapter 3, there's an interesting scripture about liberty. And it simply says that where the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. Now, think about how do we get the spirit of Christ? Now, thinking about people who are maybe uh, uh, baptized in the church, you might not realize this, but uh, in our lives, we have many, many times recited uh, a title of freedom, uh, a title of liberty, and and you're thinking, well, you know, are you talking about where Moroni lifts this title of liberty in the in the uh, Book of Alma, and they talk about that. Well, I'm talking about something a little different. You know, when I was young at school, in in, uh, public schools, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. And that Pledge of Allegiance is something everyone knows, how we're pledging our allegiance, you know, to to God and and, uh, to this flag and how it reminds us of of these uh, freedoms we have. But in the second book of Corinthians, chapter 3, where it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, he also has given us this pledge of of liberty and how we have it. And what I'm getting at is this. When we take communion every month, the prayers of the bread and over the wine are a statement of how we remain free. And what do they say? They They say, you know, Lord, bless this bread to the souls of all those who partake, that they might eat in remembrance of the body of thy Son and witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father, that they will always do what? That will always remember him so that we will always have a spirit to be with them, right? And the prayer over the wine starts a little differently, but it ends the same way. So that we'll always remember him and in turn have his spirit to be with them. Well, if the communion is a reminder that by remembering him brings his spirit and we'll always have a spirit, and if Second Corinthians, which says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, then the communion prayer is literally saying, if we always remember him, we will always be free. Mm. Isn't that a beautiful connection? That if we have a spirit, there's full liberty in our life. And it doesn't matter who's put chains around us, just like Paul. If his spirit is present in our lives... There is liberty. So if we always remember him 
And that means that becomes the focus of our lives. That means I'm going to get up, and this morning I decided I, I've been facing, dealing with some people who are, are not always easy to deal with, and, and for whatever they can dish out, I decided I'm going to overcome whatever negative with positive. And as Roman says, be not overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. I decided today my mantra is going to be, my game plan is, I'm going to overcome evil with good. And all I'm saying by that is not that I was successful or perfect in any means, but I was going to make Jesus and his purpose the reason for my day. If something bad came my way, I was going to try to do something good to counter it. And you know, that's how we remember. If we keep that attitude in, in the forefront, he promises to give his spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So if we always remember him, we will always be free. What... um what do we need to be so? What do we need to be free from? What kind of a what, what do we find ourselves in bondage to? We, we've talked about you know our feelings towards others or uh, being acted on by others, but you know, what other things are there in this world that that cause bondage in us that maybe we don't we don't think about as hmm. or even give it a second thought? Right, and there may be bondage that we don't even know about. You know, that's a good question because that can probably be looked at by many people in different ways you know we've i think we talk about how immorality and sin separates us from god you know if we turn from him the scriptures say the spirit isn't present in those you know who turn away from him Uh, so one of the things obviously is you know we have to analyze our life and like alma chapter three in the rlds version uh alma's whole message is your heart has to be changed and and he says can people see his image in your countenance? And he asks over 40 questions in that passage that really make one consider, if you take a look in the spiritual mirror, am I really doing these things? Am I, does it reflect the change? Because if the answer is no, then I'm choosing chains of bondage. I'm, I'm choosing to let myself be uh, captive to those things. And so the, the attitude of the heart uh, is is always the place to look and say, okay, now how do we how do we unbind ourselves? But it's also interesting that in a spiritual sense, God has talked about, and this leans back a little on the prophecy side about bondage of nations. Uh, this same verse that we talked about in Second Corinthians three at verse seventeen, the preceding five or so verses are actually talking about the children of Israel, who the scriptures state. Their minds were blinded, and it says, For until this day, there's a veil that's on their hearts when they read the Old Testament, which is done away in Christ. In other words, it's saying they read the Old Testament about the sacrament, or the sacrifice, rather, of the animals and the atonement and all these things, and think it was about lambs and sheep and goats and altars and blood, and not realizing that it was all. It, it was all symbols to teach us about Jesus Christ. They missed that great point. And it says, so right now, they're blinded. They're in bondage by their ignorance. And it says, when their heart shall turn to the Lord, that veil of ignorance shall be taken away. And the very next scripture says, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So so we have bondage on, on many levels. I think us as a nation... It's it's the bond the bondage of being idle the the bondage you know the the thing that I worry about most is that you know with with the fun things technology can offer people spend so much time just playing games or, or let 
idle times by that that they lose their ability to have relationships and meaningful conversations with people sometimes and my my fear is that we're, that just leads to loss of interaction and love and that brings a societal bondage on where where we're more interested in just an inanimate object than we are the people in the room with us um so you know being present with people deciding that relationships matter more than you know technology those those things are choices that when we make them they they release us from that bondage what about um a lot of people are in bondage from a lack of uh, value. They don't, they don't feel like they're valued, and so they spend so much time trying to become valuable, valuable to the people around them, valuable to their, to their bosses, to their coworkers, to their friends. Um, and it comes from a deep, deep-seated um, lack of value for not understanding that how much you are valuable to God and mm. how much you, how, how great you are loved by God. Mm. And when, when you don't have that or until you come to that point, you're always going to try to seek value from other things. Yeah, that's right. And you can see that it's just as prevalent in our church as it is outside of the church that people, even when they testify and pray, sometimes you, you can tell that there's a, we can't do it honestly sometimes because we're so aware of trying to, to lift ourselves up. And I think bondage, um, there's a great bondage there of not realizing that you're loved by God and that mm-hmm. he gives you your value. That he, when you know that no matter who says whatever to me or who treats me in what way or who tries to put me down, when I know and honestly know in my heart and believe and have come to understand that I am valued and loved by my Heavenly Father, nothing nothing can take that away. Mm-hmm. And so the actions, those types of actions have no power over me. And, mm-hmm. and until I realize that, I will always be in bondage to that. And that's, that's a bond that has to be broken, I think, for every true believer and true follower of Christ. They have to come to understand that love. And, and that probably results in a changed heart. Um, Have you got any practical uh, thoughts or steps that you've gone through to somehow put that thinking foremost in your mind, especially like if you if you work with someone who's just irritating and it's hard to think about facing them another day and, and thinking, how do I make Christ first today so that the actions of this person don't bother me so much or don't penetrate mm-hmm. And have you ever come across anything that works for you in that? No, uh, to be honest, Corey, that it has been that has been my life search because I had an experience early on in my life uh, in in my college years where I had a supernatural experience with the Spirit of God, and I felt loved mm. at that time and, and completely loved. Um, it was so fleeting. I've never forgotten that, and yet, um, you know, I've struggled with my own things, as we all do, but that is a lifelong search. Even now I'm reading a book called The Jesus Creed, and it talks about coming to have value and and know that the Lord loves you, but it's one of those things that you have, you know, you read in your mind, or you you know in your mind, but it has to come from Him. It starts with Him, and yeah, um, I do find this has been true to me that when i'm meditating on the word or reading the word of god or in prayer that those things don't have a greater hold over me but that's Mm -hmm. one of those things where 
we're back to being disciplined and humbling ourselves. If we don't, if we haven't disciplined and ordered our lives around that, um, then we're caught off guard and, and, and we're swayed. We're like a ship tossed at sea. James says to be double minded is to, to be like a, uh, the waves of the wind tossed right. to and fro. And I believe that, you know, when that comes down to what's that look like in our everyday life, and when we're double-minded or when we're seeking the things of the world or not 100% putting him first, then those things just knock us off kilter. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know uh, we talked about fasting sometime recently, but I know that, you know, fasting is this hard thing for, for all of us to, to get started and do. But I know there's some, I don't want to say secret or magical to have that connotation, but there's some unexplained power in fasting that, makes a connection to our spirit when when our body's in that state where the things of the world become less and less important the lusts of the flesh become less and less important um i don't know why it is i i I can't offer an explanation but i know it can happen It, it it like it has this power to um to write our perspective again to kind of turn us turn us in a way and so i don't know uh I, I can't offer a lot of advice, but I know that it exists. I, I know that there's power with that uh, to, to release its grasp. And, and that means even uh, not just from physical things, but from the lustful things, you know, or if you're, if you're dealing with, you know, uh, just lustful thoughts or, or um, you know, adulterous thoughts or, or pornography, those things, I, I understand this. I, I've felt it. I've experienced it in my life. These things can be lessened and weakened and where your spirit has strength over them through this act of fasting. And there's a mystery obviously there we don't understand, but uh, maybe that's something for us to pray about, to have this enlightenment. I believe the ancients had greater understanding about that than we do in our generation. It's been lost in our day. You you asked that question. And one thing I actually wrote this down the other day, I, I, I had one of those rare moments where I, I just had to go read the word and be alone with my thoughts. And so I went off and I started writing some things down I'd been pondering on. And one of them was, I noticed in my life, Corey, I want to try to narrow things down to the one thing a lot. You yeah, know, right. I really want to simplify. What is and the which one I, thing? Yeah. I think that's good. I think it's good to simplify. But um, actually, I was listening to a podcast. And when I listened to this, this guy was talking about atonement theory. And he was a theologian. And... Um, I guess among the theologian circle, which I would know nothing about, they run in the academic uh, area. There's a big debate about, uh, you know, one way of understanding the atonement or many. And this guy just made the best case that um, it's okay, depending on what group of people or what you're going through in life at the time or um, what situation that you focus on different aspects of the atonement. And that's okay. And 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 I felt this a little bit of freedom come into me. I thought, you know, Sometimes there isn't just one thing. And I say a lot about ordering your life or ordering your life around something. There's so many different aspects, so many different things. Um, And maybe at one point in your life, fasting is what gives you power. Maybe at another, it's, uh, you know, it's just spending time serving someone who's sick or needs your help. I don't know, but I think it's a conglomeration. It's it's ordering your life steadfastly day in and day out in every way that you can and in every new thing that the Lord is showing you that all of these things come together at some point Mm -hmm. and you have that revelation that 
you are loved by God, mm. and that that bondage falls away. And um, whether mm. it's in this world or maybe not completely in this world, but maybe in the next. But I think there's a pathway um, that you have to be on. Yeah. That you're either growing closer to understand that, or you're maybe you're going back the other way, but you're, you're certainly not standing still in that. You're either on a journey towards understanding that love or you're becoming farther and farther separated from it. And that's a big misnomer by the adversary that we, we think, oh, well, I'm just uh, lukewarm or I'm just in the middle. I'm just kind of treading water and not moving. Uh, that's not what the scriptures say at all. You're either um, you're either moving towards that understanding of that love or you're Mm. or your uh, that spirit's being taken with you but you god does not set anything up that we're able to just tread water forever and and remain mm. where we're at on a plateau you know mm. well that's that's beautiful that that it's all leading towards realizing how much we're loved by him yeah uh john adam talked about that i went back and read that scripture we love because he first loved us and if we ever think that we are loving for any other reason that love has not the value and mm-hmm. it'll lose its value because wow. every other every other reason to love is in some way shape or form selfish wow wow isn't that something you know this uh, year of jubilee was interesting because part of this debt and you know slaves being set free and, and debts being removed but land going back to uh, the original owners uh, was part of it. And while there might be some mystery in why that was, it it fostered this idea that people weren't owners of anything, really. You didn't own the person. You didn't own the land. We were just users of it to try to do good with, you know, and how that's the attitude that when, when we have that life, that the material things I've been given, the resources, the time, are, are just things God wants me to, to, to manage for him so that his love in the small way I can let it can flow through my life to other people. You know, that becomes the greatest revelation when we realize that's our purpose, you know, and, and how freeing that is. So then I can wake up and I can say, well, it really doesn't matter what happens to me today, you know, and because I'm here to just make the decisions, this maybe even insignificant decisions each day that say, okay, what should I do with this time or what should I do with this? And not that you don't have plans and you don't have goals. I'm not suggesting that. But that the order of your life will find conflict, uh, affliction, uh, hard times. But that in all times, we're just simply distributors of that love wherever we're at, at whatever station in life. Uh was talking to another friend this weekend he he recently spent a week-long camp church camp and he said and he went there with the idea that he just wanted to serve other people but when he got there he found this great joy that he saw that so many other people seem to have come to that camp with the same idea sometimes it's well not sometimes it's always it's very difficult to try to live out kingdom principles when you're not in the kingdom mm-hmm. when you're on outside of the kingdom right we talk about the kingdom has come and that's living the way that the Lord tells us to live and that we can find joy in that. And certainly true, how much better it's going to be someday when everybody around us is also living those kingdom principles. Mm-hmm. But as he found out, when he was focused on serving others and meeting their needs, that that other people were also focusing on that. And, and the miracle is that everybody's needs are met. Mm-hmm. Right now it's off kilter a lot, and we have to find a way to live by those principles and to be free to do that um while maybe the people next to you are in bondage and and the world certainly in our countries and is in bondage and that's 
that's not an easy task, but certainly doable. You know, this, uh, as you talked about the different aspects of the atonement and, and how one solution isn't always the only solution. And there's, there's many times in our journey with Christ and, and seeking him that we have different needs and we have, mm-hmm. we find ourselves in different places. And, and we, sometimes it's through relationships or loss or, or we feel hopeless or, or despair. Um, and what's interesting too, is that in the old Testament, you know, there were offerings made, uh, the book of Leviticus is kind of like the priesthood manual of the Old Testament, if you will. It it kind of told how the priests were supposed to do many tasks, but but of those, the the uh, ones considered most important were the offerings, and and how one animal in itself could never represent everything that an offering needed to have. And I, I won't go through them, but they talked about wave offerings and heave offerings and peace offerings and burnt offerings, and and all these things had a way of doing something to represent what Christ did for all of us, you know, the, the atonement to pay for the price of our sin, but also his atonement was to bring us the offering of peace. And, and the, the atonement was something so we could have mercy in our lives and happiness in our lives right now. And it wasn't just like there was only one reason for it. it it's all these things so that we could find freedom and power over sin right now. Um, and so that that might look and, and feel different in different days of our lives because of the different conditions we're in. Just like the different offerings were required in the Old Testament, which is kind of like uh, if you took a beam of light and, and it went into a prism, and that prism, that triangular glass, then refracts that light, and you see all the different colors of the rainbow come out. That light is like Jesus Christ that single beam of pure light and when it's refracted into the colors that's what the book of leviticus was kind of showing all these different offerings of animals and different things they represented the the peace offerings the goodwill offerings all these things was all about jesus peace and his goodwill and his mercy and his his love and all these different things that had to be shown in multiple ways because it was so much and and he's willing to meet us on many levels at many stations of life you know, my, my needs as a child were different than my needs as an adult and, uh, and, and needs in relationships and needs as we go through life, they, they change. But he has solutions and, and he can meet us in those places wherever we're at because the solution is always he wants us to find freedom in him. And if we don't, we'll suffer in bondage. He says, uh, my yoke is easy. My burden is light, right? Right. Um, that certainly doesn't mean that there won't be burdens and things, but, um, if you think about an ox and a yoke, have you ever seen the picture of the, the ox, the two oxen side by side with the big piece of wood? Is Mm -hmm. that, that, um, that's what I get in my mind. But, but Jesus says, um, certainly that is present in our walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm. There, there is a yoke and a, Mm -hmm around us very tight mm-hmm. and if we obey him if we follow what he's trying and the way he's trying to direct us the way he's trying to stir to steer us that um it will be not easy as in no struggles but um i think easy as in you feel free mm-hmm. and your burdens although the world may look at those burdens and be like whoa how is he holding up you know yeah yeah on the inside, you say the the burden is light, yeah. and and that that's the great the great mystery. We, 
we started off with this idea for this this show to be you know for the Independence Day and freedom and how we celebrate freedom in this land and our we talked about some of the prophecies and the cursings and the blessings of this land and the, the prophecies the Lord has made um, and then we've kind of in this second part talked about more on a personal level of freedom in bondage and do you have any any thoughts to kind of wind down with on that? Yeah, person? yeah, two things really. This uh, yoke and my my yoke is easy, the burden is light. Um, along with that, I heard years ago a, a story about this same scenario, but this very very large bull was being strapped to uh, an arm, and the arm turned a grinding wheel. And the, the bull's job all day long was to walk in a circle with this lever attached to him and the stone in the middle grinding the grain. <laughs> and But the comment was that this bull, which was mighty in power, had a single thin leather strap. There, there was no heavy yoke. And, and it was a single thin strap that held that bull to this arm and that an observer could see that at any point in time, that bull of his own strength without trying could easily break that strap and be free. And yet the word meekness, from what I understood, was literally coined from that description where the bull had much power to break and be free, but yet it didn't because it chose to be subservient. It chose to do its task, and it just chose to walk in circles all day, even though it could have done something else because it was trained to serve. That meekness is one of the things that when we choose meekness, when, when we choose to control uh, what might be anger or aggression, uh, when we choose that even though we have power to respond hatefully to people when they hate us, we're only, exp- we're only um, surrounding ourselves with more freedom in Christ. We're, we're, we're surrounding ourselves. We're inviting the presence of his spirit to have a greater place. When we do the things, when he says, hey, bless those that curse you, you know, do good to those who despitefully use you, be meek when you could have power to rebel. Those are recipes for freedom. And, and no matter the circumstance in our life, we'll find that the God's spirit is present and we have liberty. You know, uh, some years back, I knew a young woman who uh, she had had a history, she had had a past. Uh, Some of that involved some time that she had, because of her own actions, uh, spent in prison in her early years in life. And and when I met her was actually uh, around the day of her baptism. And she was baptized, and uh, the people were overjoyed that this woman who had only known a life of what people would call a life of this world and sin had really a change of heart and wanted to come to the Lord. And she did so, and she was baptized. Sometime after her baptism, uh, and she never went back into those worldly ways. However, she had a history, and there was consequences. And um, because she was associated simply in a car with some people who, uh, I don't know if the person was driving without a license, but the she had to give her ID and found out that there were still some unanswered debt to society that she hadn't paid. And so now this baptized woman was in prison again for former sins. I went and visited her several times. And you know, the, the uh, 
entrance to the prison was always the same. You know, I would show my ID and that uh, being a, uh, a minister got me able to uh, have a pass to go in. It really will any time of the day. Um, and so I several times went to where she was being held. And, you know, when you go in first, you know, you're, you're searched and checked. And then I remember going through a series of locked doors with uh, these big magnetic locks that would just kind of click and open automatically. And you'd walk into a chamber where there was another door in front of you and another door behind you that now locked. And there's someone behind a glass panel who then opens another door. So there's no way someone could come in or out while you're making the transition into the prison area where the people are. And and the whole thing, those doors clicked and echoed. And it just you know, it echoed the word bondage. You know, these people were in bondage and there's no way they were going to get out. And this is where I would meet my friend, and and she would come. She would be summoned out, and in her orange jumpsuit, she would sit on one side of a glass booth, a booth with a glass separation, and I would sit on the other, and we'd talk. And and uh, what was fascinating was she would tell me stories of what was going on in prison. And, you know, she, she didn't complain about her state. She, she talked about how women who had been prostitutes and, and murderers were coming to her dining table and they, and she was telling them about Jesus at their meals. And, and some women had said they had never prayed before and how one of them said, well, I want to try to pray over our meal. And they all held hands and, and they prayed. And, and this woman said, that was really bad, wasn't it? But they all cheered for her anyhow. And she was telling me these stories of how she was able to witness for Jesus. And here she is in a yellow or orange jumpsuit on the other side of a glass wall, and I'll always remember to this day, the very last words, I never saw her after that because she got taken somewhere else, but she said, I've never felt so free in my life. And, and, and I love that because her freedom came in Christ. Didn't matter where she was because she realized her mission and her purpose was to actually serve the people around her wherever she was. And so in that, I guess I would say, maybe we can have that hope that, for the bondage of our lives and the sin that we find ourselves surrounded by and the, and the immorality of the world, that if we can find ourselves as, as uh, seeking Christ, as putting him first, being a light for him, that maybe we can feel freer than we've ever felt before. That's, as, you, as you tell that story, I hear in the background, I don't know if our listeners will, the fireworks starting to go off as the sun has set on this July 2nd evening and as the fireworks are going off and people begin their celebrations of Independence Day, what a great story of being free in Christ, no matter where you're at. Um, Matthew 11.30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls isn't that a beautiful, mm. descriptive, poetic little phrase? You will find rest under your souls, mm. not just laying down in your comfortable bed at night and feeling that nice uh, pillow and blanket, but uh, your soul to find that kind of rest. Mm. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. Amen. Galatians 5.1 says, uh, stand... Fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, 
Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If you haven't had experience with Christ, seek that experience out. And if you have had an experience with Christ, don't turn back to the to the muck. Keep keep ordering your life around him, right? Amen. We all need to understand we are loved by our God and our value is in him and him alone. And everything else is just a bonus. But man, when we come to that knowledge, that's when the changed heart happens. And that's where freedom and liberty are. And God wants to show that to every single follower of him. And he will in his own time, in his own way, and in his own method. And you will know that that story that you have with him is unique and no one else has it. And that's part of the value. Until next time, God bless.